I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. The State of the Union. Special coverage on Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, tonight, President Biden will deliver his State of the Union address to the country. What will it do? What won't it do? What will it attempt to do? We want to get past the headlines of what we expect to see tonight. So let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, it is that time. It is time for a State of the Union address from the president. It's outlined in the Constitution. It's one of those very basic things, Article 2, Section 3, Clause 1. And we're going to break that down a little bit because I think we've sort of lost our way on uh, what time to time is, uh, what information the president is supposed to give to Congress. And I especially want to get into this area where it says that he wants to give – that the president is to give for their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary – and expedient. I think that's important. We're going to take a look at that as we go through the show today. We're going to kick it off uh, going to our inside source, Olivier Knox, of course, national political correspondent and anchor of the Daily 202 for the Washington Post. Olivier, thanks for joining us on a busy State of the Union day. Yes, indeed. Happy to do it. (laughs) Uh, So let's dive right in. Uh, One of the things that you hit in the Daily 202 today uh, was just talking about why this is still such a relevant speech to the country. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in the era of of, uh, of, of Twitter, of TikTok, of Instagram, of Facebook, of streaming, et cetera. You know, fewer people watching live television. Why is this such a big deal? And the answer is really, really simple. Tonight, Joe Biden will have the largest audience any American politician will have all year, uh, barring some unforeseen calamity that would require him to give a very different kind of presidential address. Mm. He's going to have tens of millions of people listening. Many more will consume State of the Union content, either by reading a newspaper account of it or going on the web and finding what their favorite commentator has to say about it. It's a huge audience, the biggest one, uh, the biggest regular one in politics, and he would be silly to uh, to abandon it, to, yeah. to, to, to let it lie fallow. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it's one of those where, one, I think every American should watch it. I think it's important for all of us to lean in and engage. And I actually take that one step further. Uh, I challenge our listeners because I do this myself. I've done this every year for over 20 years. And that is I write my own version of a State of the Union address. In fact, we're going to share that at 250 today. Uh, but I think it's an important thing for the American people to lean into uh, and as you said, for the president to make sure he doesn't let that opportunity go wasted. Uh, so if you were if you were in this, the speech writing space today, what what would be the key things you would expect or hope the president would get to? Well, you know, for, for President Biden, this is going to have really two purposes. One is um, sort of set up the era of divided government from the White House's perspective. So what does he think he can get through, through the divided Congress? And uh, where does he think he can draw 
useful contrasts with the with the, uh, the with the Congress, with the Republicans in Congress. That's that's goal number one. Goal number two is this is effectively going to be a soft launch of his presidential campaign. Right. We all expect him to announce in the coming weeks that he's running for a second term. Of course, he may not do that, but that's where the uh, the signs are pointing. And so this will be a soft launch. This is going to be you know we're going to see what what sort of brand Biden twenty twenty four is going to be. And both of those functions are enormously important. So on the one hand, he's going to look for some bipartisan action. Um, there are a couple of places that are um, pretty obvious. He wants um, wants to ban targeted advertising online aimed at children and young people mm-hmm. um, and in, improve privacy protections for, for children and young people online. And um, there's a there's a pretty big appetite, yeah. bipartisan appetite in Congress for taking on big tech. Yeah. So that's a potential – uh, area of bipartisan action. Then um, one other really big one that I'm looking at is somebody who tends to gravitate towards foreign policy. There's something called the President's Emergency Plan for Age Relief, PEPFAR. Uh, it's one of the most successful American public policy initiatives ever. Um, it changed the trajectory of the uh, the HIV-AIDS crisis. Yeah. Um, it is It has a lot of bipartisan support, and its authority, its legal authorization expires on September 30th. That's another area where I think President Biden can get bipartisan actions. Um, he'll get bipartisan agreement on a couple of other things. He's not. No one's gonna. No one's gonna boo when he comes out against anti-Semitism. No one's gonna boo when he talks in lofty terms about efforts to improve uh, cancer research. That's not gonna. No one's gonna boo that stuff. Uh, as I said in my column today, my, my I have a wager on the first and possibly the only. Uh, standing ovation he's going to get from the Republicans, which is at the very top of his speech when he says, Mr. Speaker. Yeah. Uh, that, of course, will refer to <laughs> Kevin McCarthy of California. Um, the most visible change um, in D.C., in official D.C., since the midterm elections. Yeah. Um, so I, I expect them, I expect the Republicans to go wild because that'll, that'll be the acknowledgement <laughs> of, the, of the change uh, from the midterms. Yeah, and I, and I did notice that Kevin McCarthy has ar- already made a vow that he will not tear up the, the president's speech at the end, uh, as Speaker Pelosi did. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And I think it's going to be interesting from a politics standpoint and, and kind of leading with Kevin McCarthy being behind the president this time. Uh, I, I do think there are going to be a lot of those. You said soft launch. Uh, I think the only mention of balloons tonight will be trial balloons for messaging for 2024. And I think the Republicans will be ready to try to shoot some of those messages down. But it is sort of this soft launch. Uh, are there things in that context? Uh, I really want your perspective on this, Olivier, in how does the president walk the tightrope of of reminding the American people of the successes, the things that he's gotten done, and and making sure that's congruent with what the American people are living and experiencing in their day-to-day lives. I think that's a tricky one for the president. 
Yeah, it is tricky. Um, I think I think on the economy, I think he's going to um, anchor his remarks on that January jobs report. You know, more than five more than five hundred thousand yeah. jobs created. Um, but he does have to have a lot of. I know there's more to do. Yes, in his speech, because the lived experience of Americans, um, you know, when they go grocery shopping, is higher prices, is, is inflation, and he so he does have to walk that line. There's another interesting line he's got to walk. We expect him to come out and um, make a passionate case for access to abortion. Um, you know, that obviously has enormous partisan overtones. Um, Republicans might 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 do that. Um, but he has to he has to take some stands on principle as he prepares to launch his reelection campaign. He needs the Democratic voters to be excited about him, right. not just tolerate him. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, again, another interesting tightrope of making sure that base of the Democratic Party is on board, feeling good about it, but also reaching that movable middle from the center left to the center right, uh, I think is another really interesting balance point. Uh, I want to get to one other thing, Olivier, that you had in your column today that I just love. These behind the the curtain things are my favorite. Uh, and you talk about one of the uh, uh, the speechwriting efforts uh, for uh, President Nixon uh, and how that all came about. Give us Give us that story. So in the run-up to the State of the Union in 1970, uh, Richard Nixon was very hands-on and, and very upset, and he didn't. He wanted a really eloquent uh, speech with with some real concrete proposals. Um, he didn't really know the speechwriter very well. Raymond Price was his name. Poor Raymond Price didn't have a lot of access to the president. His first draft was seen as completely unacceptable, uh, and he ended up pulling a bunch of all-nighters, not fueled by hot coffee. No. He ran on a kind of amphetamine called greenies that the White House doctor prescribed him. Um, as I joked in the column, obviously that is not the kind of green energy that President Biden will be talking about tonight. Yeah. Uh, I hope everybody in the White House staff is not functioning on that. I think the, the caffeine from the coffee might might be a better uh, better route to, to go there. Uh, anything you're looking at under the radar in terms of things that may happen or things that uh, we always talk about those last minute changes to a State of the Union. Obviously, uh, things with China have shifted since I'm sure they started drafting this speech. Uh, anything else you're looking at of, oh, this would be an interesting place. I wonder if they'll go here. Yeah, China's an obvious one. Um, China's an obvious one because of the uh, of the, the alleged spy balloon situation. Um, the other interesting one, I think, could be Ukraine. You know, we've, we've known for a while that Republican resistance to sending more aid to Ukraine has been increasing. And so there I want to see sort of what margin of, he thinks he has to maneuver. It's, it's still... Helping Ukraine is still broadly very popular. Uh, it's not a political it's not a political problem for for Biden at all. Um, but I'm curious to see what happens if he invokes Ukraine and continued American assistance um, it, to a chamber in which you know some chunk of the GOP doesn't want to see any more money or any more guns go to that country. Wow, fascinating stuff. Uh, we will watch all of that. Uh, and as always, we appreciate uh, Olivier Knox and his perspective. From the Washington Post, the Daily 202, make it part of your day. Uh, it is a great inside source for all of us. Uh, Olivier, thanks so much for your perspective. Busy day. My pleasure. All right. Uh, so much to look forward to, to the State of the Union tonight. And a lot of things in beyond the headlines. We have to get past the headlines and get underneath some of these crucial conversations, what the president needs to tee up, how he needs to balance some of these things. And we're going to continue to talk about that, including we're going to talk about the response, which, of course, will be from uh, the new governor of Arkansas. Uh, 
And uh, so we'll break that down a little bit. And then my State of the Union address will be at about 245. Uh, to make sure you stay with us uh, throughout all of that. We'll give that State of the Union uh, a run as I do every single year. And I hope you do listen to the State of the Union tonight. And I hope you write your own State of the Union. It is a great exercise for every American to do. It doesn't take long. Just jot down some notes. It'll make you think different. It'll make you feel different. It'll make you look at our country just a little bit different as well. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.